Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Don't sneeze, Nick. Please hold it in. Hello, hello, and welcome along to the latest Forza Italian football podcast. I'm your host, Connor Clancy, and as I've already mentioned, joining me this week is Nicholas Carroll. Nick, welcome back for a second week in a row. Thanks, Connor. It's good to be back. Um, well, it's not great. It's um, not under the best uh, circumstances, but uh, good to speak Italian football, so there's plenty to get through, so let's get into it. And thanks for not sneezing. And also joining us this week is the returning Vito Doria. Vito, it's good to have you back after a week off. Thank you, Connor. Glad to be back. And there have been some interesting Serie A results. So, yeah, I'm glad that I'm back to discuss them all with you guys. Yeah, the comments are already heating up. Someone says Spalletti is in for a bollocking. <laughs> You're probably not wrong. And then Philip has said hello. Phil, are you the guy that went to the army? If so, welcome back. It's it's great to hear from you. The obvious place to start then is with the champions-elect Juventus who beat Inter 3-2 at the San Siro, despite being 2-1 down in the 87th minute. Nick, what the hell happened here? Uh, that match is just, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it had a bit of everything. Um, I mean, there was a lot of controversies and there's a lot to go through with that. But first, I think it's, it's worth actually stating the fact that obviously Inter were down for 10 men for most of the match. And the job that those 10 men did was absolutely incredible. Everything else aside, um, the way they actually took it to Juve, they didn't let it kind of, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily a defensive game that they fell back into. They they took it to them and, you know, basically up until the 85th, 86th minute, uh, I thought Spalletti had done an incredible job in getting this team, um, you know, back ahead, as, as you know. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, while everything gets kind of, the headlines are all about the controversy, but I think it's 
at least that the, those ten men um, did an absolutely amazing job against you know what looks like it could be the seven time champions. Yeah, well, we will get to the controversy a little later on because it's it's kind of hard to explain what's going on really. And given the history in Italian football, it's not something you exactly welcome seeing. But Vito, you hate negative football. And that is exactly what Luciano Spalletti was punished for. He took off Mero Icardi, went into a 2-1 up. And from then, Inter had absolutely no option to relieve themselves of the pressure. And that pressure eventually told with Juan Cuadrado first and then Gonzalo Higuain turning it from a 2-1 defeat into a 3-2 win for Juve. It was disappointing to see how that game ended, largely because Spalletti made some ridiculous substitutions. As Nick just mentioned before, Inter did a great job to be leading with 10 men and to collapse in the space of five minutes or less. It's very... Heartening, disheartening for Inter fans, but also people who want to see a different Scudetto winner to Juventus. I really find that it was staggering, in particular, that Spalletti would uh, put on Santon and take out Icardi out of all people because he left the team without a striker. So that was perhaps the most perplexing bit. Yeah, to an extent, you can kind of understand that he's trying to see how to win. He's only got 10 players on the pitch, but Mero Icardi always scores against Juventus, and he is that option for them to just relieve the pressure on themselves. It's When he went off, you weren't exactly surprised to see Juve score, and then once they scored the equaliser, they were always going to go on and win that, I thought. But we've given Paolo Dybala a bit of bit of criticism on this podcast at times this season but he came on here in a big game and to his credit played quite an important role Nick in turning the game around um yeah I mean he he was given the space that he needed to work which is key um and he obviously hasn't been in the, the greatest of form I think that's something I'd mentioned um, in the video, both Higuain and Dybala weren't at their best and you know, they both provided in that those final five minutes, which obviously was great for them. But, you know, I, I think it was, as as you kind of, you guys were alluding to, it was more um, Int or Spalletti's change and Inter inviting them back into the match as opposed to, to Juve necessarily taking it to them because, um, you know, that, it didn't seem like Juve had a lot before that and... I guess the most frustrating part is that I think Spalletti actually followed exactly what Allegri had done at the start of the second half in that when Juve came out for the second half, they were pretty much sitting deep in their own half and inviting Inter back into it. And I'm obviously watching as an Inter fan thinking, okay, this is great, like, thank you. But they pretty much allowed Inter back into the match and then Spalletti got the lead, obviously, and almost did exactly the same thing. It's just... It's a weird thing that some Italian managers kind of fall back into an old habit of of some sorts. I don't know what it is, but it's it's an instant change in momentum. Like it's it's very visible, but yet they continue to do it. Um, and yeah, and that that mentality straight away 
it provides the momentum to the other team. And then when you've got the likes of Apollo Dybala, of course it's going to spur him on and allow him to do what he does best. And that's exactly what happened. So, um, you know, players like that, you know, while they're at class, it's it's a lot easier when the other team's basically inviting you to do the work. There's There's one thing to invite pressure and it's quite another for your defence to leave one of the most clinical strikers in Serie A completely unmarked from a corner or a free kick that comes into the box in the last few minutes of arguably your biggest game of the season. I could not believe when I saw Gonzalo Higuain running in because there's that split moment before he actually gets on the end of it when you realise that he's going to score and for to see that number nine on the back of his shirt and knowing that it's him of all people to be left to just he didn't even do anything that special. A lot of the time you see a, a striker will check his run or whatever. Egwene literally just ran straight into the six-yard box, completely unmarked. And Danovic came nowhere near it. And he had the easiest finish he will get all season. And Egwene was getting a lot of criticism on Twitter. But I, I kind of want to single him out for a bit of praise here because he missed he missed a chance when it was 2-1 i think to inter and he was getting criticized for that on on twitter of course and people were comparing him unfavorably to mario Icardi. but then nick as he has done so often for juve he popped up with a huge goal yeah 100% um i i, I think he's the last few, i think it was like something like five matches in the league that he hadn't scored or something like that and I have felt felt a bit sorry for him because in I, I mean for the Napoli game as an example, he's just been completely isolated. He hasn't been given like any kind of service, um, and you know half of that is because of Allegri's tactics. Let's be honest, but um, yeah, no, that's what the striker does, and you know we've seen a party do that many times this season. He doesn't do a lot, but when he's asked called upon, he gets the job done, and that's what exactly what Higuain did um, yesterday. And that's why, you know, as you know, while we're getting to the controversy, as much as, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of talk on Twitter and stuff saying we lost because of this or this or this, you know, okay, there was some unfavourable cause. But at the end of the day, as you kind of mentioned, leaving Higuain in the box, that's just absolutely inexcusable. And, of course, that's the reason why, into lost, um, you know, because of a change, because of the momentum change, and because um, we let well into letting two goals. It's as simple as that. So you know, we can get into the controversy later, as I'm sure we will. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll move straight into it now because a lot of people have been saying that Matthias Pacino didn't deserve to get sent off, which uh, I just want to kind of disagree with straight out right now and say that was a definite red card. Hundred percent. Guys, if you're seriously arguing against that, like it's mm. it's plain in it's in the rule book. That's a red in any any day of the week. So it's it's not an argument. There's no debate on that. Let's just put that aside for now. It was a red card. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people are making the claim that well, he didn't mean it, but it doesn't matter. He could have snapped Manzuc's leg in half. Vid, I'll bring you back in. Apologies, you've been sitting quite quietly there, but for me. The fact that Mirlan Pjanic remained on the pitch for as long as he did was outrageous. And there was that Nigel de Jong 2010 World Cup final style chest kick that was about three yards away from the referee. And the ref didn't even deem it a yellow card, never mind a straight red. I just found 
absolutely astonishing. Is there are there actual claims here for Inter to give out about controversial decisions? I think they've got every right about uh, about that incident because I reckon Pjanic should have been sent off just as much as uh, uh, Vecino was for his offence. So, yeah, I think uh, anyone would have the right to complain about a challenge like Pjanic's. And, of course, when a Juve player is involved in a challenge like that and doesn't get sent off, it gets multiplied even more. So, you know, you put the two things together, then it just brings even greater controversy. Obviously, people were going mad, as they tend to do on Twitter, as this was going on. But then afterwards, a video emerged of Massimiliano Allegri. I think it might have been in the mixed zone. And the fourth official, I think it was Taliavento, walks past. And Allegri says, Talia, Talia, uh, you guys did a good job tonight. Well done. Promoted or something along those lines, which it's not exactly something that goes down well within the Italian football community, given the history Juve have had. Nick, you're shaking your head there. Do you want to jump in on this? It's just a weird, it's like he's trolling the entire Serie A community or something. Like, why would you do that? You know that. As Vito said, when, when something happens like that and it affects Juve, there's you know it, it is very much multiplied, and it's a very odd thing to do. It's some some of these old school. Well, I wouldn't say he's old school, but some of these coaches in Italy they they do some weird crap. To be honest, um, I, I can't explain it. It was dumb. Mm. Well, it goes to show that. Uh... In addition to having the controversy multiplied because it's Juventus, I've seen a few things on social media, and it's not just with this uh, particular moment, it's also with other refereeing moments in previous U of A games in which people are calling out for Calciopoli 2.0. So it's a very bad look. And, of course, you know, again, when you're, when you're winning games by the fine margins and also and also winning games because of controversial refereeing moments, this stigma against uh, Juventus is not going to go away anytime soon. So for Juvent- for Allegri to do that, congratulate the referee, that is a very bad look and you can only alienate the neutrals even more. And it's also bad for the image of Italian football outside of Italy. But, of course, you know, it seems that the Italian state sometimes live in their own bubble and they don't acknowledge the perceptions of the game outside of the Italian peninsula, whether they're bad or not. Yeah, Vito, you're like 100% spot on. And you know, when, Connor, when we talked last week, we was obviously kind of jubilant in that we had a, a race and like, you know, we were quite excited by that. I think we were speaking about it for like a good half an hour, just Juve-Napoli race. Um, and then we have a match like that that's, you know, I'm not going to say it was, you know, won or lost because of that, but it was obviously crucial to the result. Uh, you can't deny that. And it it's hard. I think that's the, the frustrating thing that if Juve go on to win, which it looks like they will now, there's always going to be that in the back of the mind. Like, well, if Pjanic had gone off, if they hadn't had the one-man advantage, you know, what would have happened? Would Inter have won? Would, you know, the the gap would have been only one point? Would Napoli have beaten Fiorentina? There's so many what-ifs and 
you, you just, you know, if, if Juve were to win on, you know, on merit, then great. Like they, they get away, like they deserve it, then fantastic. Like that's what you want. At the end of the day, a lot of neutrals don't want Juve to win, but you want them to do it in fair matches and you want them to, to, to deserve it. And I'm not saying that they didn't deserve to win yesterday. You know, the players have got to, got to play to the whistle. That's not really, you can't blame them. But, you know, it's, you know, possibly as an Inter fan, and I'm sure Napoli fans are watching that thinking, that's just, it's not fair, is it? Um, you know, it's it really wasn't fair in that respect. And now we have we have a situation where, there's four point. There's a four point gap, not only in the race for the Scudetto, but in the race for the Champions League qualification because Inter have got have dropped behind uh, Roma and Lazio even further. So that's affected. Let's not forget it's affected Inter's chances now quite substantially. So where we had a one point gap for both of those competitions last week, it's now four points, and you know there's a very big possibility that that decision had a big impact on that. And that's that's not how we want seasons to be decided. Early in the game, I was quite happy because Blaise Matuidi obviously had the ball in the net and it looked like it was 2-0 to Juve. He was obviously offside, but for a second, it looked like it wasn't going to be given. And I was thinking, unbelievable, this is exactly what we need. Everyone's going to kick off about how Serie A's fixed again. And then when that was overturned, thanks to the referee looking at VAR, I was thinking... Great. If Juve win this on their own merits, fair. But then what happened? Pjanic not getting sent off. And it was just, it's really frustrating that it's have to, it's, it's had to come to this again. I think we've spent quite enough on this game, to be honest. We're, what, 15 minutes in now. So this game obviously had repercussions on what followed this evening where Napoli went to Florence and were absolutely destroyed 3-0. Giovanni Simeone continued his good form, scored a hat-trick, his, the first of his career, and it all but ends the title race. But refereeing decisions are kind of at the centre of this one as well because Kaladu Kulabali was initially given a yellow card for giving away a penalty. The referee consulted VAR. Changed it to a free kick, said the foul was outside the box, but then sent off Koulibaly and Napoli played basically the whole game with 10 men. Vito, thoughts? Yeah, it was disappointing to see Kalidou Koulibaly out of all people earn that red card. Uh, it, I reckon it was a justified red card, especially with that challenge that he made. And yeah, it's incredible that he's basically gone from hero to zero in the space of a week with that red card. And unfortunately, because Napoli had to play the remaining 82 minutes with 10 men, it pretty much set them up for a disastrous defeat. I thought the thing that was most striking about this was that Sari, Sari's decision to replace or to change things around was to bring on Lorenzo Tonelli. Fair enough. You want to protect the defence, but... The fact that he brought off Jorginho, I thought, was a huge mistake because other than Mark Hamschik and maybe Lorenzo Insigne, Jorginho is the player that makes them tick more than any other. He, Everything goes through him. And when he's gone, they're just missing that focal point in midfield and they're always looking for him. He wasn't there. 
Alan had to do the job of two people in midfield and the front three were completely isolated and they barely even got on the ball. I thought maybe taking off Mertens or something who has looked absolutely exhausted in recent weeks would have made more sense. Just gone with Callihan and Insigne up top. Nick, it's it's kind of hard because we are devastated because Serie A had a title race until now and it looked like it was going to go right down until the second last or even the final week. But now it's over. Four points, Juve aren't going to drop that in the next three games. Um, do you want to take over from here? I'm struggling. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I mean, even, I mean, the red card, you know, I guess those things sometimes happen in football. And even after that, you're kind of thinking, well, you know, it is Napoli. And when you consider what they're fighting for and the, the, what they were, the emotions still from last week, you know, there is so much heart there. And you thought, well, you know, they can, they can still do it. They can still do the job here. They didn't concede the goal straight away. Um, but yeah, I think that, what you just uh, spoke about, Connor, was absolutely crucial. I think taking Jorginho off um, and effectively moving to a four-two-three, and you know, if, even if you look at the player positioning, I was just having a look before we went on air, and you know, they didn't really um, change. Uh, you know, they didn't kind of drop. It, it was very much a four-two-three. It was uh, Alan and Hamsik kind of just filling in more of a central role, um, and. You know, you just had Hisai and uh, Marco Rui coming up the up the wings as as usual. But um, as uh, you, you said, exactly the word that um, Jorginho makes them tick. He's very much that engine in the middle of the the field that just kind of that creates the play, and that that's a huge loss for them. You know that that Napoli midfield they don't get. You know, we spoke last week, Connor, that the defense don't get many portraits, and in a lot of ways, similarly with the likes of Alan or Jorginho. They 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 make this whole team kind of work. They are what everyone is bound around, um, and I I really think Sarri stuffed that up hundred percent because I think if he made the right decision, they could have still very much competed in this. And I have to wonder if the the mentality kind of dropped after that, or their heads dropped, I should say. Um, but yeah, I I would have taken off uh, Callahan or maybe Mertens and just yeah played in a four three two. Um, I think they could have kept most of what how they usually play with that formation. It just it didn't make sense to me to do that at all, and that pretty much set the tone for the rest of the match because you know it's a two man midfield, for, particularly for the way Napoli play, it just doesn't suit. It doesn't work. So I I really don't understand his his thinking on that. No, me neither. I'm sorry. You don't want to come down too harsh on him because it, it is because of him that Napoli are even second challenging in the first place but he does deserve criticism for for things that he does and I thought what he said after the game here was particularly strange Vito I'm gonna bring you in on this and Sarri after the match said in England a different team wins the title every year and the support for those teams only gets bigger well here in Italy things are different and the risk that the fans the risk is that the fans will be lost as many support teams knowing they will never win I just think that's bizarre to to be coaching the team who are pushing the six times Scudetto winners and to say that the fans support teams knowing that they will never win is it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, there are two sides to this argument. I think to 
say those comments right now. I think it's a very defeatist attitude on Sarri's part. Uh, he needs to look at his own team, how he handled the game, and um, acknowledge that there are some flaws in his coaching. And I love his style, but I think yeah, when it comes to the mentality of his team and even his own mentality, it's an excuse of, you know, just giving the easy excuses out to justify the defeats. And as far as I'm concerned, it shouldn't be a case of looking at someone else for your own faults. Where I do agree with him is that the fact that Juve look likely to win the seventh Scudetto in a row is bad for the image of Italian football simply because they aren't getting uh, the dominance broken for starters. Second of all, we've talked about the controversial refereeing decisions. And third, the the football is generally boring to watch, even though they've scored you know, nearly 80 goals or around that figure. So, yeah, there aren't many redeeming features about uh, Juventus winning the Scudetto. And, well, with the EPL, the clubs have a lot more money anyway, so they can fight each other for the title, whereas most of the other teams, they don't have the money Juventus have, nor do they have uh, directors that know how to spend the money wisely. So... Uh, the different circumstances too. It's not just the case of Sari saying Juve wins all the time and this and that. Yeah, it probably is important to kind of put that into context. We haven't even mentioned Fiorentina though, and after a bit of a tricky patch where they what lost to Sassuolo and Sassuolo and um, Ro- or not Roma, Lazio, and then they beat or they drew against Spal. They've kind of Bounce back in the best way possible. Brian Bolden is in the comments again this week. Kind of just giving us two fingers for not predicting that Napoli would get out to 10 men and not be able to recover from that and win away to a difficult team. But Giovanni Simeone obviously deserves massive credit for his hat-trick. We've, we've sung his praises enough, I think it's fair to say, this season. Um, myself in particular, I've always been quick to point out how big of a fan of his I am, but I'm not going to spend too much longer on Fiorentina, to be honest. We'll move on. Roma did beat Chievo 4-1, which, as exciting as it made things at the bottom, it made things a little bit boring at the top because, as Nick said, there's now that four-point gap between the two Roman clubs and Inter. So, Vito, I guess we're going to talk about Roma. This probably will be enough for them to have a... Pretty good chance of getting back into the Champions League, which in which they play this week. Have they got any chance of overturning that five-two deficit against Liverpool? I still think there is a glimmer of hope because of the two goals near the end, and a lot of it's also dependent on Di Francesco's tactics. As far as I'm concerned, they've got a closer space on Liverpool's right flank, so. Not only do they have to limit Salah's influence, but they also got to cut down on the passing avenues to him. So I reckon that's fundamental. What I did notice is in addition to Roma winning 4-1 on the weekend with a few players who aren't regular starters, Liverpool all beat with a weekend side drew nil-nil at Stoke. And I thought they were wasteful with the shooting and passing. So perhaps the Giallorossi can take confidence into that. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, I think Roma, what, they beat Chelsea and Barcelona 3-0. The chances of them getting another 3-0 result at home are pretty slim. They haven't conceded a goal at the Olympico in the Champions League this season, but they're, for me, there's absolutely no way that Liverpool go there and don't score. They're, they're just too good, and if they score, then Roma need four to have any chance. And I just think it's not. They've left themselves with far too much to do. Uh, Aaron Holland has come into the comments and says, please no Juan Jesus against Liverpool. Um, could be interesting. But he also says a Romantada to come. So I, I don't know what side of the fence he's coming down on there. But as we said, they, along with Lazio, are now four points clear of Inter. Lazio beat Torino just about tonight. Uh, I watched this game, did the report for FIF, and Salvatore Serigu was... Fantastic for Torino. He saved the penalty, saved just about everything that was thrown at him. But it was some poor defending from a corner that allowed Sergei Milinkovic Savic to score a header. And he himself was pretty good. We're not going to spend long on that one either. Bologna, Milan, 2 1 win, pretty straightforward. Vito, we've spoken enough about Milan on this season's podcast. But um, do you want to give them maybe a little bit of credit before the, the Rossoneri in the comments kick off? They were overdue for another win, especially since Gennaro Gattuso signed a new contract. The one downside from a Milan perspective was perhaps that they should have scored at least three more in the second half. I thought some of the chances that they had were very wasteful. So um, it's one of those moments in which you reckon they probably should have been a lot more uh, aggressive on the transfer market in regards to getting a big-name striker and instead of uh, relying on those other options that they've got now. Well, they're still in that race for the Europa League place with um, Atalanta, who beat Genoa 3-1, which I'm sure you were happy about. And then you became doubly happy when Sampdoria beat Cagliari 4-1. We'll start out in Bergamo. Um, my dad was actually at this game, sending me photos throughout to make me extremely jealous. But you actually raised this before the game even took place and said you wanted to discuss it. So... If ever anyone wants to talk about Atalanta, I'm never going to turn them down. So, Vito, I'll let you take the lead. 
Well, from an Atalanta perspective, it's good for you guys to get the win because it enhances your chances of getting into the Europa League. And at the moment, uh, Ladea have the momentum so far. It was great to see Cristante get amongst the goals again. Ilicic on return with a curling shot. And then Musa Barro showing his potential with another goal. And that was a fabulous strike. So good for Ladea to be winning in the way they did. They increased their chances of another Europa League appearance. And of course, they bet Genoa, who aside from a nice Veloso free kick, you know, they just showed uh, once again that they're not up to scratch. And the two coaches, so Baladini, average coach, you hire him, he gets you out of relegation, see you later. But Gasparini, coaching against his old club, he's now at a team that can really bring the best out of him as a coach and he's bringing the best out of Atalanta as a club. So um, I'm sure from that perspective, uh, in some ways, I reckon that just makes the win sweeter for Gasparini and uh, his team. Also worth mentioning the latest superstar to emerge in Bergamo, which is, of course, the Gambian striker Musa Barrow. We spoke about him a little bit. Uh, it must have been last week. I'm pretty sure it was last time I spoke to you, Vito, but he just can't stop scoring now. We, it was after the Inter game when he did everything but score in the first half, and now he scored, I think it's 2-2. Two and two. He looks like he could be the main man, along with Ilicic and Gomez, to bring Atalanta back to Europe. I think so now because, as we've discussed a few times in regards to Atalanta, they haven't really had a prolific number nine recently. And Andrea Petania plays a tactical role where he works hard for the team and gets his teammates involved, but he's not a prolific scorer. So with uh, Musa Barrow in form, I think that means Petania would probably be stuck on the bench from now on. And... uh, at least Atalanta has another scoring outlet. So that's going to be very beneficial going forward. Yeah, if we look at the table then, Atalanta are in sixth on 58 points, Milan seventh, 57, and Sampdoria and Fiorentina eighth and ninth, both on 54 points. Nick, you've been sitting quietly, it's unlike you. Who do you think gets the Europa League places out of those teams? Uh, I think it's going to stay as it is pretty much. So Atalanta, I think, are pretty safe. Um, and they've got the form, and as uh, I think Vito said, they're, they're the ones with the momentum at the moment, so I can't see them really dropping out. Um, yeah, I, the other teams, are, they're, they've been a bit inconsistent of late. So, um, yeah, I think Atalanta's quite safe with that. I could be mistaken but I think I saw last week a statistic that Atalanta were the fourth best team in Serie A this calendar year behind Napoli Juve and I think the other was AC Milan which kind of shows just how quietly they've slipped under the radar as has Alejandro Papagomez he's got 10 assists this season and nobody's talking about him the way they were last it's kind of just the biggest compliment you could give him almost is that it's just so expected that every week he shows up and makes a difference for them Vito Sampdoria then got a big 4-1 win at Cagliari and that had its um, impact both in the Europa League chase and at the bottom of the table. What did you make of this? It was great to see Sampdoria have another comprehensive win for the first time in a while because we haven't been playing in the same way as we did in the first half of the season. There have been a few players that I've criticised on the pod uh, recently, so it was Interesting to see Edgar Barreto get involved in that second goal, which was a nice uh, finish by Quayarella. 
Was that the? Yeah, I think it was the Quayarella goal. Yeah. So yeah, that was a good build up. But also Gaston Ramirez, he got the fourth goal. So that was a bit. Uh, that was a bit impressive. Good to see him back on the board. But that first goal by Dennis Pratt, that was a really lovely turn. I even said on Twitter that was Zinedine Zidane-like. So that was a fabulous strike. But uh, it's going to be hard for us to get in the Europa League. And then, of course, Quayarella, he missed a penalty, which uh, I was uh, disappointed with. Would have added more gloss to the win. But, again, just glad to see that my team got a, another impressive victory and Hopefully, we might stink into Europe, but I don't think the momentum's with us. Hopefully. Atalanta and Sampdoria both to get there would be fantastic. Um, and for Milan to lose in the Coppa Italia final for that place to drop. Yeah, that, the yeah, that's the weird thing of it all. I actually want Juventus to win the Coppa Italia so some can somehow get into the Europa League. We've got a question before we move on to the, the bottom, battle at the bottom, which is, do you think Joseph Bilicic could play... In one of the Milan clubs, Napoli, Roma, or Lazio, well, given what's been going on at the Milan clubs, they need a bit of a creative player. But Ilicic, on his day, he's one of the best attacking midfielders in Serie A. But as we saw with Fiorentina, his day isn't every week, and that is his problem. But this has probably been his most consistent season, which there's nothing wrong with finding your level at that tier just below the very elite. And I think he compliments Alejandro Gomez quite nicely. The two of them are always kind of on the same page. And with Remo Freuder and Martin Darun playing in central midfield, he knows that he doesn't have to do too much defensive work. So I think he's in a bit of a perfect system to suit his attributes. And if he was to go to one of the other sides, maybe he'd have three fantastic games a year. And other than that, he'd just be an average and consistent and frustrating player. But there's no doubting on his day. He's one of the, the most exciting players in Serie A to watch. Um, speaking of excitement, I've got a few notes written down here because we're going to go to the bottom of the league where just about anyone can still get relegated. Benevento are gone, obviously. Uh, Verona are not mathematically gone, but as good as they're on 25 points. And then we've got Chievo, Spal, Cagliari, Crotone and Udinese who could all get relegated. And... The run-ins are interesting because, bear with me, guys, I'm going to read through a few fixtures here. Chievo play Crotone, Bologna, and Benevento. Cagliari play Roma, Fiorentina, and Atalanta, which you would think they're in trouble. Crotone themselves play Chievo, Lazio, and Napoli. Doesn't bode too well for them either. And Udinese play Inter, Verona, and Bologna, whereas Spal, who climbed out of the relegation zone with their win at Verona this week, play Benevento, Torino, and Sampdoria. So, it looks quite good for Spal, especially the fact that that Sampdoria game is at home and Samp don't travel well. Um, Cagliari and Crotone are probably the two teams that should be the most fearful coming into these last few weeks. Nick, you're obviously firmly on board the Crotone in Serie A bandwagon, as I think we've all kind of pledged our allegiances to here over the last 18 months or so. Are you confident they can stay up? Oh yeah, that good. I'm I'm already looking ahead to next season and um for a for a charge to Europe uh Europa League. They're in great form once again, so they'll they're good, they're safe. Um we're we're already in talks uh, planning ahead for eighteen nineteen, looking at some players to bring in. So We uh, Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I give them a call every now and then just to check up on things, make sure make sure things are running as they should and uh 
they are, which is good. So, um, you know, when things aren't well, I just give them a little pep talk and, mm. um, no, it's good. Crotone, like, they're just, they, sorry. No, I was just going to say it was an impressive win against a swall or so. I thought maybe in the second half they probably slowed down a little bit, but that first half display, I thought that was absolutely fantastic by Crotone. And the Nigerian striker they have in particular, Simi, I think in recent weeks he's been a revelation. So despite having a tough draw, I think it'd be a real shame for Crotone to go down at this stage because in the second half of the season with a few new additions... Uh, I think uh, they've managed to do well, and it seems that I don't expect Walter Zenga to do well in general, but I think in terms of a coaching career, maybe he's realised what his real level is, and staying at Crotone might be beneficial for him too. Uh, Kieva obviously are the, the big losers this week, having dropped into that bottom three. And Vito, you had the last laugh because they parted ways with Rolando Moran, which I was surprised by because getting rid of him, I know they're probably looking for that mythical or maybe not so mythical mm-hmm. new manager bounce that got Crotone Bologna and Benevento. You'd expect them to pick up some points, but Moran has been there before and he, he knows how to keep a team in Serie A. Could they regret letting him go and see themselves falling down with their city cousins, Verona? I think they'll regret it, but more the fact that they left it for so long. I, In the last uh, six months or so, I think they've been very woeful under Maran. And when I last spoke to Dov on this podcast, I was very critical of Maran as a coach and his tactical approach. So they've replaced him with the Primavera coach, Lorenzo Danna, but I think it might be a bit too late to sort of just change things around and it would really depend a lot if uh, Donna somehow changes the team. But in the last three games, I reckon he'd probably keep the same players and stuff because to revolutionise the team in the space of three games and hope to survive relegation, I think it's a massive stretch. Yeah, they could be in big trouble. Mm. What might save them is the fact that the other teams have such difficult fixtures. I'm looking at Cagliari in particular, Nick. They play Roma at home, Fiorentina away, and Atalanta at home. All teams who have a lot still left to play for and likely will when they play, when they come up against these teams, they've kind of been on the cusp of fighting relegation all season, but they've looked safe enough for most of it. Do you think there's a risk that they might have just switched off a little bit too early? Uh, I don't know if it's it's that or the uh, the teams below have, have just kind of stepped up another gear. Um, it seems like, like I mean, even look at Benevento in recent weeks, they've kind of just taken it, even though they're guaranteed relegation. So, I don't, um, you know, with the exception of, I'd say, Verona and uh, Udinese, um, let's be honest, Udinese have been absolute shite. Um, I think in, uh, actually, I was looking at the table for, you mentioned the 2018 table for the calendar year and Udinese last, uh, Verona at 18th. Udinese was just the one win. Um, but, yeah, the, the other teams, you know, I spoke about Crotone. Um, they just they seem to step up this other gear and uh, I think the others need to kind of follow through. Spal's just kind of come off a bit of a undefeated run. 
um, over the last month or so. So, um, yeah, and those those fixtures for you mentioned, and same for Crotone, they finished with Lazio and Napoli. So there is hope, like, for those teams that are looking up, um, you know, there are difficult matches for the other teams there. So it's all still very much to play for. Um, so it's, it's going to go down to the wire. And, um, I mean, for Crotone as an example, I mean, they've got Kievo this weekend and that match could be very much crucial because to follow or to finish the season with Lazio and then Napoli, it's going to be hard to get any points from those two matches. So, you know, Crotone could very much be playing for somewhat of their final tally this weekend. So, yeah, all to play for. But, um, yeah, they've certainly not been um, – sorry, I'm about to sneeze. No, it's gone. Um, no, all to play for. <laughs> On the basis of the fixtures you've read, Connor, it, there's a good chance that uh, Kayori might be that team that goes down. I still think Crotona can survive despite those last two uh, tough fixtures but they're playing much better football. They're getting the results that they need. And I see a unity within the team as well as, you know, good uh, attacking play. There's some sort of technique and there's also good combinations as well as Kiev or aside from them being very cautious, they just have no unity, no fluidity, and it's very hard for them to get goals. But Kayeri, I reckon there's a good chance of them going down simply because since Diego Lopez replaced Massimo Rastelli, they've looked pretty poor, very limited. Their style of play is basic. And I watched the Bologna game last week where they drew nil-nil at home and they were just hitting long balls to Pavoletti and just looked like they were watching a lower division English game or an old FA Cup game. So it was very bad to see the way Coyote were playing, especially with some of the players they got. They got some decent creativity in midfield. And I will say that Diego Lopez is probably the second worst coach in Serie A behind Fabio Pecchia from Verona. So if Coyote go down, it's because they made a horrible choice in coach. I do always quite like having Cagliari there just because they're the, a team from the island and they represent a little bit of diversity. So sure. we're, we're kind of just going to say that Benevento were obviously gone, Verona are gone. So there are these five teams playing out for one more place. So... I really want Cagliari to stay up. I would like Crotone to stay up. And I've made my feelings for Spal known over the last, what, two or three seasons. That's a lot to be. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Jasmine Kurtic got off the mark today for them, which I was happy to see. But Kievo, Kievo are kind of funny in that they're a bit of a pointless club, as CM Fox has come in in the comments and said, which is harsh. And that's coming from a Verona fan as well. But I was thinking Crotone would like to have that game against Kievo at home, but Kievo don't really have a fan base, so they probably won't mind travelling to the Bentagodi to play that. Udinese. They are absolute dog shit. And I would be so, <laughs> so pleased to see them get relegated because they have frustrated me. They're a bit of a bogey team for Atalanta. And I'd just be so glad to get them out of Serie A, at least for a season. Um, I'd be happy to take Chievo sticking around for a little bit longer just to get rid of the Zabretta, to be honest. Inter, Nick, you guys play them next. That sounds, or, oh, no, it's in Friuli, actually. Please. Do the public a service and smash them. Just get rid. Get rid. 
uh, after last weekend, it's going to be a toweling and to have too much frustrations to let out. So, um, sorry, Sonia, but it's going to be brutal next week. Yeah, Sonia Messi always come up in the comments and said, at least we're not as shit as Kievo. Well, Sonia, since the turn of the year, you literally are the worst team in the top yes. flight. Mm-hmm. You haven't, what is it? You got your first point in 12 games this week and it was against <laughs> you are already relegated and are one of the worst teams to have ever played in Serie A. So, hey, hey, it, hey, hey, come on. It's, no, 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 bring no, no. Benevento into this. It's, it's cute that she's celebrating a draw against Benevento, of oh. course, but <laughs> given that Sonia was going on about Udinese having, in her own words, Champions League ambitions in January, <laughs> the girl deserves to be dragged back down to earth because Udinese are terrible. They were never threatening Europe. I've got screenshots from our Slack conversation to prove my thoughts mm. on this go further back than just now. CM Fox has come in and says, Udinese have one of those fake stadiums with multicolored seats to make it look like people are there when in fact it's <laughs> half empty and I don't like them either. CM Fox, you hit the nail on the absolute head there. And just because your comment was so on the money, we'll give you the last words on that. Mm-hmm. So are we all in favor of Udinese getting relegated? Yeah? Yeah, sure. Why not? Vito, full house? Uh, a couple of things to say on that. I will say yes. Uh, no disrespect to Sonia, but it's more my agenda against the Pozzo family. The club flopped in Europe in the last 10 years, maybe 15 years. Um, the only time they did good was in the 2008-2009 UEFA Cup season when they reached the quarterfinals and Fabio Quagliarella, not Antonio Di Natale, carried them to the quarterfinals. See, bit of Doria style, Doria class, Doria intelligence helps. Uh, but even with Guidolin, they bottled it in Europe against Arsenal. And Arsenal are bottlers. So it's not so much an agenda against the Udinese fans, unlike uh, most uh, of you guys, but it is an agenda against the Pozzo family. I hope it's a wake-up call for the whole family to maybe change their business model and maybe even promote the youth kids or something because... Um, I can't just blame the coaches for them. You can blame Oddo, you can blame Tudos, Ramachoni, all the other coaches that have come after Guidolin. But the the ownership, the hierarchy of Udinese need to take a serious look at themselves. I don't know about um, the viewers out there, but the highlight of every podcast is Vito's rants. I, I think there should be like a, <laughs> a separate segment for Vito to just like let rip on something everywhere. It's amazing. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> To be fair, we all got kind of up for that Udinese bashing. It's nice for Vito to extend his rants beyond Genoa, but they've kind of just been <laughs> a nothing team for a long time now. So Udinese are next up on his list, and they are top of mind right now as well. Uh, Brian Bolden says more teams, not just in football, need to listen to Vito. I completely agree with that. Thank you, Brian. Uh, I'm trying to see what else we missed in the comments. Just people annoying Sonia. Fully on board with that. Uh, replacing one of these teams, and we'll say they're replacing Benevento because they're already gotten relegated and Empoli have already been promoted. They didn't take too long to get back up into Serie A. They've absolutely stormed Serie B. Vito, what can we expect from Empoli? Are we going to see more of the Maurizio Sarri, Marco Giampaolo Empoli or what we saw in towards the end of their time in the top flight? I reckon we'll see more of that Sarri and Giampaolo style. 
Aurelio Andreazzoli had some Serie A experience with Z- with Roma, replacing Zidane Examen in 2012-2013. And I think now he's finally getting a senior job and doing well with it. I reckon it was just a bad mistake for Empoli to promote Giovanni Martuscello from the assistance role or the Primavera role. So I think in hindsight that was a horrible move, but they've bounced back in style and their attack of uh, Francesco Caputo and uh, Alfredo Donnarumma has been absolutely sensational. So hopefully they can maintain that attacking philosophy and keep some of those key players when they return into Serie A because I think they'll be another exciting team to watch. Well, fans of nostalgic football and particularly 1990s Serie A will be happy to see that Parma are currently occupying second place after 38 games. They're on 63 points, but the beauty of Serie B is highlighted because Palermo are third at 30 or 63 points, Frosinone on 62, Venezia, Bari both on 60, and then Perugia and Cittadella on 58. So from second down to eighth, any of those teams could probably still come up automatically, never mind through the playoffs. It's going to be hard. <laughs> and uh, and Foggia and 51 points, thank you very much, next in ninth. Um, yeah, Nick, come on, it's a bit of a stretch. There are more points separating them and the mm. team above them than there are separating eighth from second. But Foggia, to be fair, we gave them credit a couple of weeks ago, the fact that they were threatened with relegation and then they absolutely stormed up the league and nearly got promoted. Ternana then down the bottom. Their late season surge didn't really last too long. They are second bottom on 37 points and it looks like... But they're only three points off 19, so they might still stay up, but it looks like they're staying in the second tier. could be coming to an end, sadly. Uh, I think we've come to an end. There was a question, actually, I wanted to get to. Nick, it's not a question, it's a statement. CM Fox. Uh, I think I said Nick. Vito, this is obviously for you. CM yeah. Fox has come in and said, I think Genoa will win the league next year or go close. <laughs> well, he must be running for a position in either <laughs> the Melbourne Comedy Festival, Montreal Comedy Festival, or the Edinburgh Comedy Festival, because uh, only if uh, some rich Qatari buys them in the summer, there's no chance Genoa can win a Scudetto. Not on my watch. No, like Udinese, the only time they'll be winning a trophy is if they get relegated next season and then they might win Serie B the following. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so that those guys can keep us up to date on what happens in Serie B when they see their teams down there. But I think us three are pretty safe for now. Yeah. Well, guys, there's another interesting thing from Serie B. Uh, the great man himself, Maurizio Zamparini, he sacked another coach. I forgot he was still there because Zamparini... Sold the club, but didn't really sell the club because the person that yeah. bought it was his mate who had no money. Uh, so yeah. he's back and he's still doing his thing. Yeah. Bruno Tadino's gone. They brought in uh, Stellone, who got Fosinone promoted about two seasons ago. So we'll see if that manages to work for them, but I really hope it doesn't. All right, guys, that'll just about do it. Vito, stick with you. Tell people where they can find your stuff on your writing, social media, and the likes. And you actually did write about Udinese recently, Mm -hmm. so give that a plug as well. Yes, so I did write about Udinese and uh, talked about the losing streak, all those struggles before we was replaced by Igor Tudor. And I did uh, give uh, the Pozzo family the boots in that article too. Not as passionate as this, but... They did uh, get some deserved criticism, so read that on the Forza Italian Football website. Check out my fan page on 
Facebook under Vito Doria, then Facebook, I mean, and Instagram and Twitter, my handle is Vito C. Doria. And on Instagram, I put up a photo of this uh, jacket. So on the live broadcast, you can watch it. This is not actually a Sampdoria jacket. This is, in fact, Tommy, Tommy Hilfiger. So if anyone can get in contact with Tommy and let him know he got the arrangement wrong, um, please let him know because the <laughs> watch should be somewhere else, you know. There's too much uh, black hoops. So, yeah, even to pass on my details to Tommy and maybe we can sort a few things out. You know, Vito, I saw you share a photo of that before you bought it and you were commenting on the hoops and I was thinking, I think he's going to go and buy that. And then I saw you uploaded the photo onto Instagram. It's a really nice top and it is similar enough to being a Sampdoria top for you to get away with it. So you should wear that more often. It's a shame on this that the blue and black contrast doesn't come across quite as well. No. As mm. Do go over to his Instagram and take a look at that. Nick, you've been doing some videos and stuff. So do the same thing that Vito just did, please. Well, yeah, I did a video on the, the race for the Scudetto. A bit kind of ruined now, but um, check it out. I'm sure I'll get a kick out of it. Um, you know, you never know. There's, there's still mathematical chances. Roma could smash Juve and who knows? Who knows? Um, what else? I do some other stuff every now and then. So I'm on Twitter at Nick Z Carol. Um, also my, um, shirt, it's got, uh, I'm going for the old colors of, uh, Regina. So, um, the wonder club from, uh, Reggio Calabria. So, um, not quite, I think I need more maroon, but, um, definitely no, if, um, if anyone has any good, uh, tips for where I can get a, a good old school Regina top, let me know on Twitter. And Facebook. Um, I have actually been asked in the comments, what kit am I wearing? <laughs> Which out of context, <laughs> sounds like a completely different question. And in context, you should know better. It is obviously the best <laughs> of Italian teams to conquer Europe in recent years. Uh, Sonia Missia, bow down to the greatness of La Dea because it's going to be a long time before you guys get back to the Europa League and we'll be dancing all over Europe for the next few years to come. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Conjay Clancy. I also have a Facebook page, which you can find just by looking up my name. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the fashion show, the Calcio Talk. Today's a bashing. It's the end of the season. The title race is done. We might have to turn to things like this a little bit more often in the next couple of weeks. Uh, thank you ever so much to every single one of you keeping us going in the comments. The comments have been lit, as they say, this week, and it really does help us get through every single week. Um, Yeah. Guys, any final words before we go? No, you're good. I've said my piece. All right. That's it then. Ciao for now, guys. See you next week. Ciao. Ciao a tutti. Io questa maglia sognavo da bambino Quando giocavo ancora col trenino Mio padre andava sempre al comunale C'era il Torino, Torino da sognare Granata è una seconda pelle Portarla è come un viaggio tra le stelle Lo so cos'è la storia e la leggenda Giochiamo noi, la fiamma non si è spenta.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 